are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world. And it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. It's about showing up every single day. It's about giving all of yourself. It's about evaluating your work. It's about innovating practice to change lives. Every single week, let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the truest and shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. Today, I have such a treasure for you. I have Rachel Kushiri Murray, and Rachel is a tireless advocate for children's mental health. She is a parent advocate that also co-founds the organization Advocates for Mental Health for Michigan Youth. She is so passionate about attachment theory and ways we can build attachment with children. The reason for this is that Rachel is more than just a parent and an advocate. She is an parent of two children through adoption. So this has fueled her passion for how we can create attachments with children and how important that relationship bond is for which all other things can develop. So it is so exciting for us as speech language pathologists because we know we are not going anywhere if we don't have a relationship with the children that we work with. This isn't covered in graduate school. This isn't covered in this continuing education units in the field of speech language pathology, yet it is everything. So during the summer vacation, we are traveling outside of our field. We are wandering outside of our field. And it's during these moments when we explore that our practice is going to improve by leaps and bounds. So I'm so excited to share with you today this incredibly passionate, incredibly knowledgeable, incredible advocate for our children and for the mental health of our children at a time when our children are in crisis. So we are going to look to Rachel Kusheri Murray today, who, by the way, is more than a friend. She is also a family member, I'm so proud to say, who has to be perhaps the most passionate individual I know about child development. She is going to share with us today four highly effective strategies that we can use with our children, with the preschoolers we work with, to build bonds, to create attachments. So I am so excited today to introduce to you Rachel Kusherdi Murray. So Rachel, before we begin, I just wanna take a step back 
and look at the situation today. So when we look at children, and I'm not talking about children with special needs, I'm talking about all children, the norm today appears to be that the children at the most basic level have issues, oftentimes at a physical level. So many of the children, and I mean children in general today, have sensory issues. They have diet issues. They have issues with um, sleep sleep issues. They have chronic illnesses such as allergies, asthma, celiac disease. So we know that this foundation for which all else develops is that children feel safe and secure, but their safety is threatened even on a physical level. So what used to be the exception, which these children, it's rare to come upon a child that has sensory issues has now become the norm. So it's so important that you're here today to talk to us about something you mentioned in our conversation is what all of this physical issues manifests in is called something you said, prolonged stress responses. Prolonged stress responses. These children with these issues that they, they encounter on a 24 seven or daily basis result in a prolonged stress response. This is new terminology to me. Can you please explain in layman's or laywoman's terms, what is a prolonged stress response? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. What a beautiful introduction. That was so sweet. Um, and I'm honored to be here. I, I love your show and um what relates to the question you're asking me is your focus on the whole child um, and how all of that interacts to create a situation. So when you're talking about a prolonged stress response or regulation, a, a child's body needs to be physically regulated for them to be able to um, move into a place of being able to take information in and to learn. Otherwise, their body is seeking to regulate. If they're in any type of stress, if they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're having sensory issues, um, whatever it is, their, their body needs to regulate, get regulated before they're going to be able to, um, to receive information. Mm -hmm. And I like what you're talking about here is that they're in reptilian brain. They're in fight, flight, freeze. Uh, right now, the name of the job, my job is to survive. My job is simply physically, I'm having issues and I need to make sure that I am physically well. Yes. And if someone's not physically well, they're not going to be thinking about higher level communication skills, relationship building because they're in, this is life or death here. Right. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about a child, because they haven't learned how to shift into their frontal lobe yet, the way that adults can, we can ignore our hunger. We can ignore the physical sensations. And a lot of people, a lot of us are in therapy now trying to unlearn that stuff, trying to learn how to take care of ourselves because there was so much emphasis when we were children taught to us about overcoming our somatic you know, experience. Whereas children, children need to be supported through it. They need to, they need somebody to hold their hand and guide them through. This is how you care for your body. 
And I care about your body. So we're going to take the time to help you feel comfortable and get regulated. And in that way, you're going to feel safe and you're going to be ready to move to the next level. Yeah, you're talking about a whole other episode we can have about all of us driven to distraction. Like, how can we ignore the fact that our basic needs are not? That's a whole bag of worms. Right. And I, another epidemic that us adults have or all throughout our society. So the first key strategy that you think is of the utmost importance for children to develop attachment and to build bonds is that they have routines and consistency. Can you tell us about why routines and consistency are important? And what is an example of a routine and consistency that will happen on a daily basis that we can do that will be a game changer for these children? Sure. Well, so, you know, we just talked about physical, meeting physical needs, and now you're talking, you're moving into the next layer of Mm -hmm. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Which is emotional safety. Um, And so, and a lot of people think that it's a step-by-step process. And once you go up, you don't come back down, but really it's a fluid process. We need to be meeting all of these needs at the same time. Um, So the next, the next issue is Security, like feeling secure, feeling safe. And children receive that by knowing that somebody is in charge, by knowing that there's an order to things, by expectations being met, by um, even, even good surprises still elicit a stress response from children. They, it still gets their, their adrenaline running, their cortisol levels up. That's a stress response. Even if it seems to be a happy surprise, it is a stress response. And so while it's nice to do that sometimes, in the general aspect of a child's life, they need mostly um, to, to remain in that, in that level of, of not having those stress hormones pumping through their veins. And that's what's going to make them feel safe and also help them to build a relationship with the person that they're with. Wow, that is so interesting. What you're talking about here is like, get out of the brainstem. We have to get out of the brainstem where they're thinking, okay, fight or flight. Okay, fast, uh, fast moving, flashing images on door, the explorer, SpongeBob SquarePants and gets my attention or that the sounds that are loud and like, okay, pay attention to that. And you're saying what they need more of is don't pay attention to you're, you're safe. And how do you know you're safe? And you mentioned you, you know you're safe because someone's in charge here. It's not you. There's a higher order that's making sure that you're in a safe environment. You don't need to worry about whether you're safe or not. That's mm-hmm. provided for you. So I like that you mentioned that. And you know, I like that you mentioned that there's an order in this world. You know what's going to happen next. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen next and, and um as you were saying, I, f- I forget what it is there, that order lets them be calm and and in the moment and present because they yeah. know that next this is going to happen. They don't have to worry about um, whether or not they're going to eat lunch. Lunch will right. be there for them. And then the last thing you said is that, uh, what was it? The last one I forgot um, that you mentioned, was it about 
there's a, th- um, you mentioned that there's someone in charge making sure that everything's safe, that there's an order and consistency. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to have lunch. Lunch will be on the table. And then after that, you're going to have your nap time. Then after that, you're going to have your, your dinner. Um, what was the last thing that you mentioned about routines and consistency? Was it that you don't need a lot of surprises? Even even good surprises can be stressful for children. So keep them to a minimum. Yes, yes. That's that was a really important point that you mentioned. Is that um, as you said that even though they might be laughing or excited, this could be a stress reaction that you're seeing. Right. Right. Yeah, it's not that you would not want to go to a preschool, which every day is something different. Is that what you're right. talking about? Right. What, what, what is it today? What, what do I have? And that puts children in that survival mode. Like this place is not safe. Every day it changes. And I, and I have a new environment, a new set of expectations I have to learn. And, that, and even though they might be smiling, like this is fun, this is new, this is novel, this is also very scary. It's, um, so that's a really good point that you bring up right there. I would say, I don't even know if it's scary, but it definitely causes their nervous system to be alert, mm. to, to remain in a state of alertness. Mm-hmm. And then once again, you, you mentioned that would result in a prolonged stress response. Okay. So then you have a second really, very important key to building attachments to children. And you mentioned that as baby gate boundaries. We need to have baby gate boundaries. I love that. That's so easy to remember, so easy to visualize. What are baby gate boundaries? Well, the way that I think about this, and I I credit all of the wonderful people who have mentored me and all the amazing books I've read. This isn't, you know, my creation. I don't get to take credit for it, but it has helped me immensely. And that is that I think of boundaries as a baby gate instead of a punishment. You know, I was raised, and I think a lot of us were raised with this idea that setting boundaries was discipline and it was punishment and you're taking things away and you're teaching them a lesson by, um, you know, trying to show children that they should be ashamed or that, you know, to, to um, steer them in a different direction next time um, by, by telling them, you know, by showing them what they don't want. And I've completely switched my point of view on that to thinking about discipline Mm -hmm. as putting up baby gates. Mm -hmm. And that means that my job is to protect my child Mm -hmm. and I need to not take that baby gate down until Mm -hmm. they're ready to explore further. And if I find that I have taken the baby gate down and my child has done something unsafe Mm -hmm. um, or outside of, of what I deem to be safe, then then it's not their fault. It's my fault. I took the baby gate down too soon. So, um, so I need to put it back up and maybe I'm moving it. You know, maybe we started with the baby gate at the bottom of the stairs and I took it down and now I'm finding that my child's trying to climb the stairs all the time and they're not ready for it. Well, maybe I'm just going to, I'm going to put it back up, but maybe I'll put it two stairs up. So they have a little room to explore, but I'm still keeping them safe so they can't tumble down the whole flight of stairs. You know, and this works for any, everything. I like to use the example because now my kids are teenagers. Cell phones, you know, I gave my child a cell phone and they're using it while they're in class. Okay, clearly I gave them something that was too much responsibility that they weren't ready to handle. I don't need to yell at them for that. 
I just need to put a baby gate in place. Maybe I need to to put some um, app on the phone that restricts their usage, or maybe I need to keep the phone at home during the day and only let them use it in the evening. So there are ways that you can manage it, but the important part is to set your boundaries with attunement to your child and your child's needs. And I think that that's so important is your intention, because I have seen people where ego gets in the way of boundaries. And the reason is because I said so. Mm -hmm. And because I'm the boss, when there is really no baby gate reasoning behind this is because this is in your best interest, because this is in our family's best interest, because this is in the community's best interest. It's because I'm boss. So I love that you're like, that's not a, a, you never think of that when you say baby gate, baby gates Mm -hmm. are (laughs) the reason behind that is not ego, obviously, but it's for um, a higher level purpose of keeping the child safe and secure. Love that. And in the next key strategy that you mentioned that's really important and highly effective in, in creating, a building attachment with children and building real bonds with children is positive interaction time. Now, I told you in our field as teachers and as staff at the school, we aim for a minimal 80% positive interaction with children, 20% of the time that could be redirections, but a minimal 80%, and that's a research-based school setting number, the 80% rule. But you said, Kelly, in the home environment with a parent, that number should change. Could you explain that? What would that percentage of positive interactions change to? And why would you change that number? Well, what I've learned from the experts on um, attachment theory and their research is that if a parent is able to connect with their child at least 30% of the time and just get, you know, get attuned to them and connect with them 30% of the time, then a child's going to be fine. They're not, they don't need us to be there. 100% of the time or even 80% of the time. And it's not even possible. Um, You know, we are with our children for so many hours out of the day that we're going to have a lot of misses. But Mm -hmm. the important thing is that we are taking the time to um, connect with our children, that when we have the opportunities, we try to grab them. We are going to miss some of them and that's okay. And in some ways it's even beneficial because it gives us the opportunity to come back and repair and and reconnect. And when you do that, you're actually strengthening the relationship more than if you got it right every time. So you shouldn't be afraid of making mistakes and missing opportunities. The important thing is that you come back and repair and reconnect. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that and we said it's similar to a married couple for instance, and it's like, well, we never fight. We don't have any problems. And what that means is you have a lot of problems that are hidden under the rug that are festering like mold and growing. And and so it's so important, like you were saying, to have times where there are breakdowns and that the breakdowns are repaired. And and you say that's why it's important for children to see um, parents disagree, but to also see them make up them them um, not make up but what would be the word for it to um 
what is the word to re I can't think I of the repair word and now. reconnect yeah reconnect to reconnect that, that that but so I think that's really really important that you mentioned that is that breakdowns need to happen and that's an, a wonderful amazing learning opportunity in which you learn how do we reestablish connections because I think especially in this day and age people think that other people are disposable um, it's a swipe on the, to the left or a swipe to the right or up or down. And it gives the people the illusion that you, you people are a dime a dozen. Or, and, and that if you have a problem with a person, you end the relationship and you move on and you swipe to the right. And I think that's so important what you're talking about is that, no, when you have breakdowns, you fix these breakdowns. You patch up the breakdowns and then your relationship is stronger. Right. I think all of this is part of respecting your child as an individual. Mm-hmm. They need to individuate. They need to find themselves. And that's hard for parents because, mm-hmm. you know, we want sometimes to see our children as a little mini me's or, or we have a picture in our head of what we expect them to be. Um, and so all of this boils down to attunement. All of this boils down to honoring well, well, your child well, as you an can't Indian. can't attunement. <laughs> and yeah. like, uh, and <laughs> two people that are not attachment therapy. <laughs> you define all of this boils down to attunement. Yeah. Yeah. It's, wait, wait, we got to stop right there. What <laughs> is attunement? What do, we, what do you mean by everything boils down to attunement? Could you describe... What is attunement? What do you mean by that? Okay, so attunement is something that takes practice. Mm-hmm. It is not guided by rules. It is not guided by, um, you know, there's there's no, you have to be fluid. You have to mm-hmm. listen mm-hmm. and um, be engaged and open and curious with your child. And... Um, and that's where the connection comes from. So when you're, when you are able, you know, when you think of tuning a, a guitar, mm-hmm. you're engaging with the guitar, you're listening to the sound and you are responding accordingly back and forth between you and the instrument. It's the same with the child. You're listening, you're reflecting back to them. You're mirroring. We've talked about mirroring mm-hmm. before and how mm-hmm. important that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and um you know, it's, it's a matter of them feeling like they're touching you and you feeling like you're impacted by them back and forth. It's the relationship. I love that because it's so much, there's these maxims in life and in therapy, when we treat it like a back and forth dance in which you're sensitively responding to the output that you get from the child on a moment to moment basis, Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that sounds like attunement. It's this back and forth dynamic dance where one second you could be behaving this manner and, and the next second it totally changes. Having that flexibility where, okay, now I, I have to do a backbend. Um, I love I love that. So thank you so much for taking a moment to like say, I'm going to throw out this billion dollar word, attunement, that is everything. And saying, all right, all right let me explain it in layman's turn. It's like when you're tuning an instrument, okay, try this, give it a sound. Okay, go back to the drawing board and, and change what you're doing based on what the child's giving you. So the last technique that we're going to, to, to discuss, technique number four, that you say is so powerful is mirroring. 
So this mirroring technique, could you explain what is mirroring and how do we mirror when we're working with children to build stronger attachment and stronger bonds? Yeah, I feel like mirroring is the tool that we use to attune, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and and I see like when I watched your videos of your work with children, that's what I see happening. When I see, a, you know, a parent and a child and um, you're you're reflecting the um, emotions on their faces, you are repeating the words that they're saying back to them so they know that they're heard you are, um, you know, you're engaging with them in a way that you are, you see that they're mirroring you, you're mirroring them. They see, they feel seen through this process and they feel, uh, they feel your attention and they feel loved. And, um, it's just an incredible way to, to uh, build a relationship and build attachment and build trust and a foundation to build on from there. And, you know, I think a lot of people would be familiar with this if they've done any sort of, you know, you know, I was looking into um, imago therapy, which is common Mm -hmm. for um, adult relationships. Mirroring is a huge part of that. When you mirror someone, you show, you're telling them that you love them, that they are seen, that they're heard, that they're validated, that you're empathizing with them. Um, All of that is being carried in your messaging when you're mirroring another individual. I love that. So you're you're meeting the child where they are. And not only are you meeting the child where they are in terms of their voice, in terms of their words, in terms of their facial expressions, but you mentioned that, that researcher in terms of the body movement and how they move their bodies. So, and when you do that, you're entering into their world. Yeah. And, and th- so this mirroring is very, very powerful. And as you were saying, not only for children, especially children with autism, uh, but also for adults. Mm-hmm. Oh, any relationship. Any relationship. Oh boy. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So I know I'm not, and, I, and it's funny because I've seen it where people mirror me, salespeople mirror me. And it's it just like, oh, I just, I, I hate that where it's just like, I'm holding my hands like this and they hold their hands like that. They, they'll cross their fingers as well. If I turn it into the red, they're turning, and it just, it gives me like, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, but that's because it's so powerful. And it, it also might be problem. that they're misusing like said, the tool. What is the intention? <laughs> if the intention is to manipulate, it really makes you go, oh, like, but if the intention is to connect, it, it's something, it could be used for good or bad, it's right. so powerful, but it's right. powerful at the end of the day. Yeah. My guess is that, is that if you notice it happening, it's somebody who's using it as a tool and they're not using it properly. But if somebody is, you know, I think that, I think that we do it naturally um, and without realizing it, you know, when you think about playing peekaboo yeah, or you think about, um, you know, pointing and the child turns and points with you, mm-hmm. those are, those are times that we're mirroring and then we're not even thinking about it. It's just, um, something that we do matri- naturally that we can, um, that we can be aware of and, and increase in an, in a way that allows us to continue to build stronger relationships. Mm-hmm. And do you say like these kind of 
techniques that you have. These these techniques also seem good for someone that has experienced trauma that you discussed. Because they're kind of in that survival brain because of prolonged stress due to trauma. And, and when I look at these techniques, do you almost see that you just have to be make more of a concerted effort when it's trauma, you, you know, to, to, to engage in these techniques? Yes, yes. Because children who have experienced trauma um, are, are more in their limbic brains. Yeah. Um, they have a harder time getting out of survival mode. Um, and so they need every single reminder you can possibly give them every moment you possibly can to tell them they are safe mm-hmm. and that, um, and that your connection with them is safe mm-hmm. and that they're supported. So anything you can do to keep reminding them that they're safe and they're connected, they're safe and they're connected is what they need to be able to move past that trauma and process it. Um, because until they, as long as they are mm-hmm. still in that PTSD mood, uh, mode, they're not going to be able to, to process what happened to them. They're not going to be able to learn anything. They're just, they're just trying to get to that place where they feel safe and secure. And this is like a whole different episode, but I think that when we look at any of these children, like we mentioned the physical issues and not to mention these emotional issues and these trauma issues that put them in a prolonged stress state, these four strategies that you shared that we're going to review in a second, you have to provide at a more concentrated level. Every child (laughs) benefits from these four strategies. Yes, yes. But yes. So, but these children that are in a prolonged stress state, they need at a more concentrated level, these strategies to be in place. Right. I would say that there are some kids out there who, who don't need, you know, mm-hmm. special attention to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but more and more often, depending on what special need a child has, you know, whether it's their special need comes from a trauma history or their special need comes from, you know, a, a diagnosis of some sort, whatever it is, there are more and more children who need that safety and security. And honestly, in our culture right now, our adults need it. Like we we all just need to be practicing this across the board in all of our relationships. But the more that it's the more that um, children experience this sense of safety and it's they're exposed to it and it's modeled around them in, in the relationships that are around them. So Mm -hmm. they see it happening between the adults in their lives too, not just towards them. Mm -hmm. That just creates a much better sense of, um, of, of, Oh, I can't think of the word right now, but security basically that everything is right in the world, that everything's happening as it should. The adults aren't stressed out. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be stressed out. And you know what you're talking about, like, I noticed a difference, I think, because I think of as a researcher, like, when you take these variables and you put them in, you take these variables and remove them, I notice an immediate difference. So for instance, some days I have to complete standardized testing. So I'm like, we don't have time to go through the, the routine that we do in therapy and the closing that we do in therapy. The entire time we're going to do standardized testing. <clears throat> and, and what happens is, is there's all of this that pops up, all of these issues that pop up because the children aren't regulated. You didn't give them that routine. Right. You can't cut that out. 
And then the, the child's like, why are you behaving this way? You never act this way. And it's because you didn't give me my routine that I need. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I see great value. So Rachel Kusheri Murray, Kusheri Murray, where can we contact you? You are such a force. If you want to make a difference for children with mental health issues, Rachel is the advocate of all advocates, aside from being high, her high level of expertise in this area. She is also has a voice and she has a purpose and a mission. If you want to join her mission, connect with Rachel. Rachel, how can people connect with you and join you in your cause? A great way to connect with me is through um, the group Advocates for Mental Health of My Youth, MI as in Michigan Youth. Um, We have a website, which is mentalhealthformyyouth.com and um, a Facebook page. So just do a search for um, Advocates for Mental Health of My Youth and um, you can connect with me there. We And I should mention that um, our group specifically advocates for the children with the highest levels of mental health needs, whether it's severe emotional disturbance or other complex mental health issues. Okay, wonderful. So make sure to connect with Rachel. She, she's a force uh, for, the, for good for all children and join that force and make a difference and make the world a better place one child at a time. So with that, it's time to roll up our sleeves. Oh, wait, we didn't review the four key strategies. I've got to do that before we roll up our sleeves and make this world a better place. These are four highly effective strategies to build attachments with preschoolers, all children or other adults for that matter. Number one, consistency and routines. So having that routine that you follow day in and day out, no matter what, if possible, and having consistency to that. Number two, the baby gate boundaries, the boundaries that you establish to keep children safe. This isn't about ego-based boundaries, because I said so, because I'm the boss, I'll show you. That's not going to (laughs) work. (laughs) nothing's uglier than that, but baby gate boundaries in which there's boundaries in place that keep the children challenged yet keep the children safe. Love that. I can visualize that. And I'm going to tell that to my students, like we have boundaries and these are baby gate boundaries and this is the purpose for them. If you're outside of that, I don't know where you are. And the third key that you shared with us is positive interactions, especially for parents, at least 30% of the time in the home, maybe for school staff, it's 80%, but for for parents, 30% gets the job done. You mentioned for and, and having breakdowns is a good thing because that's when children learn how to, uh, how to mend these breakdowns, how to, I I keep trying to think of the word. I don't know why it's so hard. (laughs) Repair. Repair. Thank you. How to repair breakdowns, how to create lifelong relationships. People are not disposable. And I think in this day and age, teaching children that people are not disposable is, is huge. It's a game changer. And how to create lifelong relationships. 
And the last key, number four, is mirroring. How do we mirror the children's emotions, mirror their speech, mirror their body language, mirror their movements to uh, join them and meet them where they are and join them in their worlds to create bonds? A very a highly effective strategy that works with all individuals. And like I said, it could be used for good or it could be used for for evil mirroring because it's so um, powerful, such a powerful technique, but use it for good. So on that note, thank you, Rachel Kusheri Murray. Connect with her. She is a good person to have on your side. If you and make sure to look her up and we're going to roll up our sleeves now and we're going to create a, a better place one child at a time. 